Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Making a Geek. I am Damien DiCarlo. Today's guest is an award-winning brewer. He's won several awards and has received several medals in the field of brewing. His company, Five Threads Brewery, was ranked best brewery in California by BuzzFeed.com. Please welcome Tim Kazulis. Good morning. Well, afternoon, I guess. How have you and your family been holding up during the pandemic? How, how's everyone doing? Um, well, I've got three kids and they're doing the, the school thing, um, trying to maintain some level of education. Uh, they're going a little stir crazy. We want to meet up with their friends, but you know, they, they can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been just trying to, to hold it together here, pretty much living off of government assistance, but that's about to dry up. So, yeah, it's a tough time for everybody, but you know, at least you're still standing. It's a great brewery. We miss it there. Uh, we used to do our live show for retro game night there and, uh, we miss all the five threads family, but, um, what I'd like to do, I'm, thank you for being on the show, by the way. What I'd like to do is geek out a little bit about beer. Uh, we've, we've geeked out about wine on the show. We've geeked out a little bit about music and stuff like that. Now, with, with beer, um, when did, specifically for you, when did, when did you first get that love of brewing when yeah. you first started? Uh, I was living in San Diego, and, um, which was a you know, craft beer mecca at the time. It was about 2009 completely oblivious that I was living in the land of craft beer. Um, <laughs> and uh, my boss at the time, we, we flew out to Denver and he said, hey, let's go check out some of these breweries over here. And I was like, well, that sounds great. And, um, and so he took me to the Great Divide and we're sitting there drinking a couple pints and tasting this and that. And I was looking around, I was looking at the environment and the people and on both sides of the bar. And it was just really cool. Um, I, I really enjoyed the, the whole experience. And um, I was in an MBA program at the time, wondering what I was going to do with the MBA. And I walk in there and like, I could do this. I, I could totally do this. Yeah. And you, and you were in brewery heaven in San Diego. I mean, everything, like you said, the Mecca for this kind of thing. So you must've tasted pretty awesome stuff. Well, so then I went home and grabbed everything I could and started a, a, a you know, immersive experience into craft beer and, and all things craft beer. So I taught myself how to homebrew, uh, taught myself how to taste, and all the while working on a business plan for what was eventually going to become Five Threads. Now, uh, to, to those that maybe are tuning into the show that don't know the difference between craft beer and say everyday store-bought beer. Uh, what, what would you, how would you describe what craft beer is? Um, we're kind of like um, the, the corner coffee shop that, you know, isn't owned by the mass conglomerate. So um, we can be more nimble. We can be more creative. The ingredients that we use can be of the highest quality instead of, you know, the, the most economic. Um, you know, because we're brewing small batches, we don't need to save, you know, two cents per pound to get the, you know, so we can get that extra grain that is of extra quality. We can, you know, we can get and use more hops uh, because we're making smaller batches. Um, you know, that makes our beer a little more expensive, but we become this boutique product um, that you can't just go into, you know, Costco and, and pick up off the shelf. Right, uh, right. And then, so it's geared towards quality. So when you think of craft beer, you're, 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 you're basically describing quality versus quantity. I would assume that other beers out there, which I won't name, that are store-bought, are a little less expensive, but they have more 
quantity of beer versus in this case, you're a little more expensive, but you're getting the quality and taste. Right. Yeah. You're going to have a more, um, well, some beers aren't as intense, but that's by design, you know, um, but it's going to be everything that you would expect out of a beer. So if it is a, an IPA, it's going to be, you know, even more hoppy. It's going to be even more fresh. It's, uh, it's going to have more flavor. If you're looking at a Pilsner or um, a Kolsch or something, it's going to be more crisp and it's not going to have uh, the, you know, um, kind of those back end flavors that come off with some of the mass market beers because they're trying to get every ounce of sugar out of that grain. And when they do that, they, they you know, strip out some of the, the husk um, tannins and, and that creates this aftertaste in your mouth that's not so great. That's why you drink, you know, mass market beers, ice cold. Uh, so you, you reduce some of those flavors and make it less off-putting. Right. And I, I would say that, you know, most, most beers you can, I mean, maybe with my palate, I can practically taste the industriousness of some of these domestic brews uh, that you get at store-bought. And while I'm yeah. not opposed to drinking it from time to time, uh, it seems like with craft beer, specifically with Five Threads beers, you, you taste the quality, you can taste the freshness. Um, now, how does, how does one go about making craft beer? How do, how do you even start that? Uh, ours is uh, a very hand, <laughs> uh, handmade process. Uh, we manually start by uh, milling the grain on site the day of um, the brew. And that milled grain mixes in with hot water in our hot liquor tank. So we, we schlep it over our shoulder and we dump it into our hot liquor tank. And uh, you know, the, the water and the grain mixes together. And again, we're, we're using premium quality products. We're not like... Um, trying to and we're, we're using it to the point where we can get just the best stuff out of it and leave any of the the bad stuff behind um so you start with the the water and the grain it mixes together and what happens is the the hot water will um dissolve the sugars and the proteins and the flavors out of those malts out of that grain and and bring it into solution and some of those proteins are enzymes and those enzymes will take these big big chained starches and break them up into simple sugars. Um, and then we need those simple sugars to feed to the yeast so they could actually make the wort that we're making into beer. Uh, so once it's uh, been dissolved and you have all the sugar and compounds into this wort, we separate the liquid from the husk material and all the solids and we pump it over to another vessel called the boil kettle. And uh, any guesses what we do to the, the wort when it's in the boil kettle? Oh, we boil it. <laughs> we boil it. <laughs> boil the uh, hell out of it. <laughs> now, yeah, I have, now, I have a question for you. Uh, now, yeah. you just mentioned malt. You mentioned uh, milled grain mm -hmm. uh, to, to someone that wouldn't know what this is. But let's just say they're the basics of the ingredients. But now, how do you change the variation of these beers using those main ingredients to say – making a beer uh, like most German brews are a little skunkier. Uh, certain English style bitters are a little more uh, malty. Uh, how, do you, how do you do that with that beginning that you just said? Um, so on the grain scale, all beers are made of, let's say up to 80%, um, some beers 100% of what's called a base malt. And um, the process of making malt is you can grow it, you grow the barley in the field. It's mostly barley, uh, sometimes wheat, sometimes oats, um, sometimes uh, rye, <laughs> and, uh, but mostly barley. 
and that gets grown in the field, it gets harvested, it gets, um, and then they will wet it and it starts uh, germinating. So it starts sprouting and they, they get it to such a point um, before it actually, well, yeah, it usually has a little, little bit of roots and stuff hanging out of it. And then they dry it and that's, that's the malting process. And what that happened, what that does is it um, releases the, it breaks down the, the hard cell walls to make the, the contents inside able to be dissolved into water. Um, it's, it breaks down everything and releases the nutrients so that a little embryo inside the seed can eat the, that, those nutrients and grow into a plant. Well, we then the maltster will will dry that malt and and uh, to some level of temperature and um, that stops that process but leaves all those nutrients for us to crack open and, and dissolve in the water. Gotcha. So that that first level of temperature is is relatively low and it creates a pale malt so it's it's not roasted it's not toasted any of that it's just a very base basic dried malt and that's the base of pretty much all beers from pilsens to um to stouts even and then the difference between the pilsen and the stout comes in as far as the grain goes comes from adding different grains so uh, for a hazy IPA, we're going to add a lot of oats and we're going to add a lot of uh, wheat and we're going to try and get, build the, the protein and the, the mouthfeel up. Uh, with a stout. Um, they'll take, the maltster will take those grains and they'll roast them to a higher degree, kind of like you do coffee beans. And you can get a, a range, just like you can have a, you know, a, a medium toast or a dark roast um, in coffee beans. You can do that with the malt as well. Okay. And it provides different flavors from, you know, uh, from graham crackers to toasty to, you know, dark chocolate to espresso. And you can get those same flavors just by how long and, and what temperatures you roast the malt. That would be um, your experimental area to, to add or take away for the yeah. flavor. Right. And so when we're designing a recipe, we're like, well, what kind of beer do we want to make? And, you know, porters have... Yeah, uh, black malt and stouts have uh, roasted barley where they don't even malt at first. They just go straight into the, the kiln and you know, roast it up to a high temperature. Um, and um, so a, an, an English beer is going to have um, a good amount of what's called crystal malt. And that's a malt that they've, um, they've kilned and then they wet again and it releases some of those sugars that are, are stored in the, in the grain. And then they'll roast the the malt a second time and that creates kind of a caramelization of the sugars that are in that grain so and again they can roast that to different degrees of um of temperature too so you can have you know a crystal it's called crystal 10 and that's a very um sweet and doesn't add a lot of color to um to the beer and then they go all the way up to say like 120 150 there's a a, a Belgian malt called Special B, and it goes through this process, and it's roasted to uh, what's called a Lovabond. Lovabond, that's how you measure the, the color in beer and in, in malt. So it's like 150 Lovabond um, uh, grain, and that one actually has like notes of dried cherries and, uh, you know, toffee and, you know, deeper caramel flavors in, in that. And so you can take a little bit of that, maybe even like 2% of the grain, and add that to an English beer 
and you'll get that sweetness and a lot, some of those toffee flavors uh, uh, out of that. So, so this could be um, kind of a fun process at this point. Like you can play around with it however you'd like. Um, now with the first run that you've made, I'm going to take you back in time. The first run of beers that you made, the very first uh, line of them, how long did it take for you to do this to where you felt satisfied with that first line where you're like, this is good. This is good. Let's do something <laughs> with this. So my very first uh, delving into home brewing, um, I, most people start with extract. So they go with uh, like a, a concentrated wort that's been you know, dried down or um, into, into powder or into a, a really thick liquid like a syrup. And they'll, they'll add water to that and then uh, they'll boil that, add a little bit of hops, cool it down, add yeast, and then they're off. Um, I, I didn't want to start that way. So I went all the way to the advanced level and uh, started in with, with all grain. Um, and to do so, I, I wanted to test it out with a one gallon batch. So I took uh, a one gallon water jug as a fermenter and I took my, my kitchen colander and lined it with some aluminum foil. <laughs> and uh, it was a total MacGyvered operation. Uh, you know, boiled that gallon on the stovetop. And that first recipe was a porter. And, uh, you know, I made all of, you know, six to eight, 12 ounce bottles out of that gallon and uh, tasted it. And it's like, hey, it's not half bad. And um, it took a couple more batches till I was like, you know, actually, I, I'm, I'm, this is pretty good. I'm pretty proud with this. Let me start sharing it with people. And uh, so it was just, just a few batches at that point. But I was working off of recipes that were already like award winning recipes. And I was just trying to follow those ingredients, kind of like baking a cake. You know, you can follow along in the recipes and as long as you know some of the basic techniques, you can pretty much replicate that, uh, that recipe. Um, now, the biggest difference in the quality of beer, for, if you have the same recipe, uh, comes down to the, the techniques that the brewers learned and the equipment that the brewer is working on. Um, so my little gallon jug didn't have the best, you know, temperature control. I, I think I had it in a cardboard box with some ice packs or something. <laughs> and uh, um, total Mickey Mouse operation. You had it. You had a Frankenstein <laughs> of equipment ready to go. <laughs> yeah, and as Five Threads has evolved, um, we call that kind of an operation Tim Engineering. <laughs> there so, you go. <laughs> uh, Instead of MacGyvering things to work, we call it engineering here. So, uh, now, and, and that's that's prevalent all over the brew house. Now, it's, it it just came to my mind as you're talking about the process. Uh, I've noticed, and I'm sure most consumers will see when they purchase a beer, they'll they'll notice on the bottle, IBU. What what is an IBU? Sure, uh, that's called International Bitterness Unit. That's what it stands for, and. Um, you know, to geek out, <laughs> there's uh, a UV spec test you can do, and there's uh, there's alpha acids in the beer that have been isomerized, and the UV spec will tell you to what level um, those are dissolved in the beer. And you get those alpha acids and isomerized alpha acids by boiling hops in the wort. And the longer you boil and the more hops you add, the higher the IBU um, rating will go. Alpha acids. What is that? Alpha acids. Yeah. Um, so when we buy hops, we look at the percentage of alpha acid, 
alpha acids and we um, <laughs> um, and we calculate how many IBUs is going to go into that beer by how many um, minutes it's been been boiled at what point do we add the hops and, and what percent you know what poundage we put in there I see. Um, now the the hazy IPAs of today we want all of those those alpha acids, but we don't want to isomerize them. We don't want that bitterness. Right. We want so it to be a smooth, smooth taste with all the hop right. West Coast bitterness. Uh, so, uh, hopefully, I'm not losing you here. It says my internet's unstable for a second. I saw you robotic um, for a minute or two. <laughs> and uh, so, so. <laughs> uh, so we don't actually have the instrument, the UV spec on site. We can send it out to labs for testing, but uh, scientists have used them extensively and given us formulas to use. So we can plug in the uh, amount of hops we use, the percentage alpha acid of that hop, and the uh, the time that it's in contact and being boiled with the wort, and in the formula spits out the final IBU. And so that's what we tend to use. Uh, most of the small breweries use to uh, post what IBU is on the bottle. Um, now, a, a big giant beer that we make, like the Double Bliss, which is 14% alcohol, um, we put a snot ton of hops to, uh, to, to balance out the sweetness of that beer because the ethanol itself at that ABV is, is sweet. And so we put as much bitterness into that beer as possible so we can balance that out. Um, and so it'll read like 150, 200, 250 IBUs. Uh, but in reality, uh, we can only dissolve about 100 IBUs into any given beer. Um, so the, when we go over that, it's to either make sure that we're getting every ounce of bitterness in there as we possibly can. But more often, it's because we're adding even more hops into the, uh, the boil or the whirlpool so that we can get more of the flavor out. And um, that's the case for these, these giant 200 plus IBU beers. Um, Interesting. But hazy IPAs have all that, you know, flavor and aroma. But you look at uh, like our tomfoolery and it only has 32 IBUs. But we're using the same amount of hops. It just depends on how we're using them. So for our hazies, instead of um, adding the hops while the beer is boiling, we actually chill it down to below 180 degrees. And at that point, we don't get that isomerization of the alpha acids, but we do get the extraction of the flavors and the aromas. And so we do that at the very end of the boil and add the hops and let them sit in what's called a whirlpool. So we, we get the, the beer going around in the kettle and we'll add the hops and they'll, they'll go around in the kettle and then they, they drop down and form a cone at the bottom of the, the kettle. Um, and then it leaves so all the hop debris is in the middle and we can pull the wort off the side and not get all that hop stuff, you know, clogging up the, the system and the lines. Got it. Uh, okay. So that's, that's the whirlpool. And uh, if we, so normally you would go start the whirlpool while you're boiling, but for hazy IPAs, we, we do what's called hop bursting and we'll um, drop that whirlpool temperature down to 180 where we don't get the bitterness from those hops anymore. Uh, we just get the flavor and the aroma. And then after it's fermented, uh, we add a snot ton of uh, uh, hops into the, what's called the dry hop. So it doesn't even touch the heat at all. It, it goes into like 58 degree beer, which some of the yeast has already dropped out of. 
Hopefully not um, too much snot is added to the making of this beer. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in, in terms of now geeking further, I, I want to be clarified, but with my audience that may or may not know beer very well, there's a blonde, you have English style beers, you have IPA, you have, what, what am I missing here? What, what kinds of styles of beers are there? So, uh, so with Game Day Blonde, uh, we usually have a Belgian on tap. So we've had Hey, I'm Single and Serenity. We have uh, Pantry Porter and Coconut Pantry Porter. We've got uh, then uh, English beers. There's Chainmaker and uh, Brexit Brown. So that would be a brown ale, but is that the same <laughs> as an English style beer? English style brown ale, yeah. Okay. And uh, the the day that we released that for the first time was the same day they announced the Brexit. So I changed uh, the name from you know English brown to uh, Brexit brown. Now, do you, do you, <laughs> are you the one that names these beers? For the most part, um, sometimes I have some some uh, collaboration and we come up with the names, but uh, especially the initial names, those were were all um, my creation for better or worse <laughs> now let's say you get someone that comes into your brewery let's say pre-covid when they could come and sit and chat with you but they come in and they say you know i'm not much of a craft brew guy i don't know much about this um i drink a, a budweiser every now and again like what would you recommend for someone like that kind of taste if they're looking for um the closest thing to a Budweiser, then um, we've got the Game Day Blonde, which is a, a shoe-in for that. And in fact, it, it is very similar. It's it's like a Pilsen recipe, but brewed with an ale yeast instead of a lager yeast. Um, we also have another beer that we released this summer, which I'm really enjoying. Um, it's even closer to a Pilsner, and uh, it's called the uh, the SoCal Summer Wheat. And it's just crisp, and it has all those noble hop characters coming through, and um, really, really drinkable, and um, you know, clear and 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 lovely. <laughs> so, and then, uh, and then say, on that one. say something like a Newcastle. Would that be the the the, the brown ale that you have? Yeah, yeah. Newcastle is a great beer, um, but it's it's pretty tame as far as the flavor profile goes. So then the Brexit Brown takes that flavor up about five notches. And you can actually, um, instead of being brown fizzy beer, it's you know flavorful brown beer. <laughs> so. Now, now I remember while I was there, um, uh, many many a times that I've been there, uh, there has been a little bit of a concoction going on where some would mix beers, where they would have uh, a, a a blonde mixed with your sour. Um, is there sure. is that a trend in craft brewing? Is that just playing around with it? Is there something? Is there some sort of science to that? It, we we've we've encouraged blending beers at my brewery and some breweries do encourage blending uh, the first time i experienced it was ballast point um in san diego where they uh were blending a couple of the beers they had on tap and um but historically the the term threads comes from blending beers and this was back in the 1600s you'd walk into a bar or a pub and you'd ask for a thread of the ale and a thread of the beer and a thread of the two pence and uh, the bartender would pull a thread of each into one glass and, and give it the beer. I did not and I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And it also ends up being the origin story for the porter because um, one bartender got tired of mixing all these beers. So he just brewed the beer everybody was asking for and uh, was able to industrialize the process. And it was so popular with the working class of London, they, they named it after um, those workers. Um, 
uh, who were loading and unloading, you know, all the ships at that time. And so it's called the Porter after those that were drinking it. And um, that. Interesting. that beer went on to become, you know, stronger and stronger. And eventually they started calling it a stout Porter. And then there was an extra stout Porter. And then eventually they just dropped the Porter and started calling it stouts. So um, not only is it the origin of the Porter, but it, it branches into the, the stout eventually. Uh, but that's where I got the term uh, threads from for the company. And five was for the five ingredients in beer. Now, most people talk about um, four of them. They talk about water, malt, hops, and yeast, but they, they always leave out that last crucial ingredient. And that's, that's you who enjoy it and, and we who put all those ingredients together. So uh, the brewers and the craft beer lovers are the fifth thread. And uh, we like to think that five threads is here to, to bring all of the good things in beer together. That, that's perfect. That was going to be my next question, uh, how you came up with the name. Uh, sure. Now, as far as the preservation of beer, there's something I like mm -hmm. to ask about that I've always wondered. Uh, is it best? What's best before reaching the consumer? Can, bottle, or keg? And is there any difference with taste? So it, it, it depends on the beer. Um, some beers do just fine in any of those packaging. Uh, you know, a nice dark stout is going to hold up uh, for a long time. Uh, it depends on, on how well it's brewed to begin with, because the, the main issue with, with craft beer especially is, um, is oxygen. So oxygen in the finished beer uh, degrades the, the freshness of the beer. You know, a beer will never go bad to the point where it's going to harm you if you drink it. But um, that freshness will fade over time. And what? the more oxygen in, in the packaging, the less fresh it will be. So, um, you know, people talk about UV rays getting in through the amber bottles. And I don't think that's really much of an issue. Um, you don't get what that causes is is skunking. And so if you have a, a glass, clear glass bottle, and you're leaving that out in the sun or on the shelf with a lot of, you know, uh, fluorescent lighting, um, and it's a very delicate beer, then you might open it up and, and get kind of that skunky flavor. Um, those are some chemical reactions that are going on with the UV light in the, in the beer. Um, in the in the brown bottles, it doesn't tend to be on shelves long enough to do that. And the flavors in most craft beer are uh, intense enough that you, you're not going to get that out of there. Um, so it's mostly oxygen. Um, a lot of people are moving towards cans these days, um, and they're fine. But uh, bottled product is just fine as well. And we've, we've done that for years. And it's just a big marketing bent that to say that a can is so much more superior than uh, a bottle. Um, when you when you make a, a perp, uh, uh, German beer purposefully German, how do you get it to be that skunky taste? How do you how does that even happen? Is it well um, out in the sun for several hours? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think like um, I'm trying to think of which ones I've actually tasted off, more often that one, like Heineken or um, what's the can, one that came in the green glass bottle. That was Heineken as far as I, oh, no, no, this is, uh, might be Gulch. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so that's more likely in that kind of thing. And it's just an interaction with the light and, and the, the hops um, that are in that beer. Uh, the, the hop oils in the beer will, you know, um, tweak a little bit when exposed to UV light. And that's what gives that, that skunky kind of character. Got it. Um, Okay. Now, there's IPAs and whatnot that have kind of a, you know, a, a hot kind of character, a dank 
pineyness to them. Piney, um, some people say. <laughs> yeah, uh, often piney too. Um, and and that's just the variety of hop and the different flavor profiles that come from that variety of hop. Now, with uh, canning and kegs, let's say, because there's no light, you're saying that it's not an issue from your experience with UV rays entering a, a, a glass bottle to, to change the taste. Yeah, not really. I mean, the brown itself uh, absorbed most of the UV light, so that's not really a big issue. Now, there's zero light getting into a can, zero light getting a keg. Um, the, the, the best beer, the freshest beer, is going to be on tap at the brewery that made it. Um, that's definitely the way to drink craft beer. Right. Uh, in this time of COVID, um, those of us who are unfortunate enough to be in LA County are not able to serve beer from the pint, even though the rest of the state can. Um, and that's because the director of our county uh, apparently has some kind of beef against uh, breweries that don't actually have a restaurant on site. Um, right. Apparently that restaurant is what makes the difference between somebody getting sick with COVID and somebody not getting sick with COVID. I, I don't understand it. Uh, but, it it makes know. no logical sense. Um, you know, there was a, a meeting this morning and apparently she um, expressed some preferences that made no logical sense because you can go and have a beer at Applebee's at happy hour and um, you, your results are just fine, but you can't come to a local craft brewery and you know, um, you know, be respectful and follow all the same rules uh, and not be okay. I, I right. don't understand the logic. This, and this is it. part of what makes it difficult during COVID with, with businesses trying to uh, either start or surviving like yourself, <laughs> survive because you have a way of already doing business. You already have the clientele. You have your hit one, one hit wonders and each of your beers ready to roll and, and something like that is a roadblock. It's gotta be hard for a home, uh, uh, for a business owner, no it's, doubt. It's killing, it's, it's killing me and, and all the breweries like me, especially um, because I'm on the border of LA County and Ventura and right across the border, they can serve pints on site with a food truck instead of a, a restaurant. Right. And uh, we've seen our sales dry up in the last few months ever since Ventura opened and we stayed closed. Um, so it's, it's devastating. Uh, right. it, it's a critical time and, and we're not doing well at surviving through it. Right. No, no doubt. It's, it's hard for LA County in general uh, with in every sense, especially for breweries. Um, you know, and it, it'd be hard to say uh, it'd be really tough on just, you but it's also for us your your consumers we miss going there we miss uh having the interactions and having a fresh taste of uh your particular brew um well we're all the fifth thread you know what we sold wasn't just craft beer it wasn't just the product of the bottle it wasn't just you know the the thing that we're drinking we sold and provided the whole craft beer experience and we're that third place that you can go and meet your friends and have community with and you know sing some karaoke or do some trivia or listen to some podcasts or uh, listen to comedy we we were you know an experience um a shared social experience and in with social distancing that's that also is banned so even uh if we were allowed to serve pints it's not quite the same experience as what we had in the past that um right for a while is going to be non-existent now, 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 say, uh, and, you know, let's just say this short circumstance of which you're going through, we'll go back to normal soon. But in this short circumstance, a short time period uh, that you're that you're facing with your clients, your consumers, um, you give them your beer. What is the best way to enjoy one of your beers? Is it in the bottle? Do you pour it in a glass? What is the best way to, aside from coming in and just having it straight on draft? 
Sure. So uh, as a craft brewer, we create beers that should be um, enjoyed with all the senses. So um, how does it feel in your mouth? Um, how does it look when you see it? How does it smell um, when you smell it? How does it taste? Um, okay, hearing, eh, not so much, but it is kind of satisfying to pop the cap and, and hear the psh, uh, or, or to pour it and have the, you know, the fizzy come up. You know, that, that, so all five senses um, are involved in drinking your beer. And when you drink it straight out of the vessel that it, it arrives in, um, you, you, you're missing some of that. So it, it really should be poured into a glass for the, for the best optimal uh, experience with that craft beer. Right. And, and, or a bottle. And I, and I was told that, you know, when, when you drink beer, you, you don't, you don't have your nose involved with it, but with a glass, you're, you're, I don't have a glass here to show you, but you're, you're Correct. inserting your whole senses involved with that. Exactly. Yeah. So when you take a sip out of a glass, you now your nose is bringing in all the uh, aroma compounds in that beer. Uh, and the carbonation actually helps lift that those aromas into the air just inside the glass. And so when you have glasses that are kind of tapered in a little bit at the top, it helps to keep those aromas in the glass. Um, and when you drink straight from a bottle, you're not involving your nose at all. So you're missing a lot of the, and uh, in, in actually the way that the sense of smell works is that's where most of the flavors are derived when you're eating or drinking something. Um, it's there's only a few basic flavors that we taste, you know, the bitterness, the sweetness, and everything else that is a flavor is really coming from our sense of smell. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Those, you know, flavor, you know, ions that go up into uh, our nervous, you know, synapses and they, you know, fire this one, they fire that one, the brain interprets it as, oh, that's that flavor. So, um, and that all, so when you lose your sense of smell, you lose so much of your sense of taste. Uh, like if you're Absolutely. sick of the head cold and right. you've ever had, you know, a meal and you're like, this doesn't taste that good. Um, that's, that's part of the reason. I, uh, I've noticed that even I've been even able to tell when I'm drinking beer from a glass, if the glass has been washed well, uh, I can usually <laughs> sense either that or too much soap still re like the residue uh, and it changes yeah. the whole flavor for me. But I've never had that once happen when I've come in to drink uh, your beers, which is great. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I hope that never happened in my place. No, no, it hasn't. No, no, like I said, I'm very picky about that. When I go to a restaurant, I order the same kind of beer via Sculpin. It, it'll taste different between different uh, establishments. And I, I know it has to do with the glass, the way either it's maybe how it's dried or the type of soap they use or, or something. I, I don't want to venture to say they're all dirty. I hope not, but uh, you know, that, that changes the flavor drastically. I can smell that and it tastes very different for me. So I can definitely agree with that whole involving your nose and all your senses. A big giant schooner when it's ice cold is going to give a different uh, impression than, you know, drinking out of a craft beer glass when it's, you know, serving temperature. Right. Uh, that makes a difference too. You literally just tapped into my next question. Uh, no pun intended by tap. Uh, what is the <laughs> ideal temperature for beer? Uh, so it depends on the beer itself, but if you hit 38 degrees every time, you're pretty darn close for most varieties. So, um, is that, is that standard for all beers or is it just only a certain kind? That, that's pretty standard. Now, uh, English beers, maybe 42 is a little better. Um, and maybe, you know, Chris Pilsman, maybe 36, 37, but, but 38, you're, you're firing pretty well. And if it's, 
uh, not providing as much of the flavor as you want. You just hold it in your hands for an extra 30 seconds and it's pretty good to, <laughs> to go. Um, right. Bring it up to temperature. And it should be consumed fairly quickly in the sense that, I mean, if it's sitting out too long, it'll warm up or your hands are on it, you'll warm it up and that'll change the flavor, right? It, it does. It, it brings out more flavor. Um, so sometimes that's actually a good thing and, and a beer will open up over time and that's part of why that happens. Um, uh, but generally, you know, with the carbonation and everything, it's, it's more enjoyable um, you know, soon after it's been poured from the tap. Now, I want to say that might be an American style because I've noticed that uh, those that I've met that are from, uh, say, Europe, they, they tend to have their beers a little warmer. Um, right. You just mentioned it brings out more flavor. But so you're saying warmer will bring out the flavor, but coldness is just the more appealing for its taste. Well, yeah, I it, guess it, just it, overall it, taste for us. Refreshing, and we we think of beer here in America. We think of beer as a cold product. So when it's not, it, you know, um, it, you know, in England they sell it. A, it they serve it at cellar temperature often, or cask beers are often at cellar temperature. And, you know, a, a cellar temperature in England is going to be different than a cellar temperature over here in Southern California. Um, so um, it might be in the 50s, you know, 55 degrees. And that's sure. fine for a cask ale that you're serving with a sparkler and whatnot. Um, I can't think of a time that I've walked into a bar or a brewery when it's 101 degrees out and I want a warm <laughs> beer <laughs> to sip down on. Yeah, a cold beer is definitely a lot more appealing. I would definitely say that. Um, yeah. You know, warm beer is great in um, beer cheese soup. That's a good place for warm beer. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, as far as the beers, you, you've, you've covered a lot of uh, what we already know. Are there some beers that uh, you haven't made yet, certain styles that you'd like to do or some that you're working on? Um, so never quite got around to making any lagers here. Uh, the, the time scale involved just doesn't work with our small amount of equipment that we have here. Um, you have to you know, age them for a number of weeks after they're fermented. So, um, and the fermentation is slower than an ale. Uh, so we haven't really done any lagers. So true Pilsners, true, uh, you know, Doppelbox. And that, um, that's a time consuming process as you're saying that it would take a lot longer. Right. And at our small operation, we have to turn it around as quickly as we can. Um, when we're in full swing. <laughs> would, that, would that theoretically be that it would cost more than when, if it would be a lot more labor uh, time? In, in, on, at our scale, yes. I mean, um, obviously the big guys uh, can sell that for, you know, pennies uh, compared to what we would have to sell it for. Um, sure. But one of the reasons we don't sell a Pilsner is because you have to you know, compete in that market and we can't with our operation. So we yeah. focus more on, on the boutique beers that are a little more esoteric that the, the big guys right. don't and can't brew uh, effectively. Right. Um, and, and you being the little guy means nothing in terms of quality. I would say I'd rather go to a, to a little guy that knows what he's doing in terms of his uh, brewery than, than to go to a mass brewery where the beers just aren't tasting great to me, no matter what people say. And I, I don't go by popular demand. I, I want to know what tastes good to my palate. So for right. me, you have the quality. It's just more of getting there where right now, especially during COVID, you're, you're, you're kind of having a setback and trying to get back where you need to get. But right now you have the clientele. You're doing, uh, you, how are you currently operating during COVID? What, what's going on with you and how, how has this affected you? And how are you trying to get back up there? So when within weeks of the initial shutdown, we announced home delivery and um, 
and after about a month, we expanded that home de delivery uh, zone into other regions. Um, and so people could buy online and we would actually drive it to their homes. And we, we did actually a pretty, pretty well with that in the early phases comparatively. Um, I mean, nothing is like having the tap room open. And, but also during that time, there were no restaurants open. So people couldn't go out and drink pint anywhere else. So they, they only could drink at home. Uh, so that, that worked pretty well. We, um, people weren't going out, so they wouldn't even go really to the bottle shops. So once, you know, everywhere else besides here started opening up, we started selling our beer through distribution again to the restaurants that were allowed to be open. Uh, so people could have pints, you know, away from here at least. Um, we continued that and through the whole time we've been open for to-go sales. So you can come and, and get uh, bottles here or get your growler filled at, at the brewery. Um, again, now with all the uh, openings everywhere else, uh, we've seen that business really just start to dry up too. And we've had to condense our hours just to, to weekend hours and by appointment during the week. So, you know, you can give us a call on a Wednesday and we'll say, yeah, we can meet you in 20 minutes and, um, you know, we'll uh, you sell you some bottles at that point. But well, um, it's really starting to dry up. Yeah. And, and it's sounding like you're, you're being as proactive as you can during this difficult time. You know, some people could be overwhelmed, throw up their hands and say, you know, I, I give up. And it doesn't sound like you're doing that. You're, you're struggling, but you're, you're getting there. Uh, the clients are there. Um, I remember when we had our live show, uh, the last one we had, which we had uh, guests from Comic-Con, the uh, X-Men animated series creators, yeah. they came in. Uh, they asked me what beer I, that they should get, and I recommended Game Day just because it was yeah. kind of a lighter one. We're about to do the show. I just remember both of their faces, what is this amazing beer? They were just blown <laughs> away. And it's like, this, this is the kind of thing you need. You need more people to come in and try it, which the quality is there. And you already have great amount of clients that had come in at that, you know, pre COVID. And now they just need to know that, Hey, we're still here. We're to go. You can come pick it up, you know, keep us, keep us going, keep us around. Yeah. Um, because right now in LA County, every, everybody's going to hurt right now. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that we've done um, is try to pivot to do more of the, the hazy IPAs. Um, and you can see over there, We've got some uh, stacks of uh, can cases. Um, and what we're going to do in, by the end of the month is release our first, um, well, our second attempt at getting into cans. Uh, this time uh, we've kind of engineered a, a can filling device here, a counter pressure can filling device. And, um, and we've got some hazy IPAs that we've been working on and, uh, and some new art. So those will all be coming together at the end of the month. And um, we've also been pivoting on beers that will have a long shelf life. And so we've created uh, this new line of beers called uh, 5X. And so far we have a 5X Red. And now we also are about to finish a 5X Stout. Um, the plan is to get those into 12 ounce cans and get those wrapped up. Um, but at the moment you can get the, the 5X Red in like a limited edition bottle. Uh, and we did that with some of the brands on tap that didn't have, you know, specific uh, labeling design uh, already. So we did had this limited edition uh, bottle for some of the, uh, the beers that mostly we just sell on tap here. So and you, had, get those. you had done canning before. This is a new thing, right? So we, we, a couple of years ago, brought in a mobile can, canner 
Um, but we found that we wanted to be more flexible with um, the quantities of beer that we were able to can at any one time. Uh, I didn't want to just have the the full batch and have it sit there for three months, um, you know, taking up space and, and then aging. And especially with these hazy IPAs, they need to um, get sold real fast. So um, we wanted to be able to do smaller batches more often and not be relying on any kind of mobile canning uh, to do that. And the, the economics of it um, work better to, to do our canning by ourselves too. Now, for me, I, I'm going to say just at a personal level, I, uh, I've, been, I've been going to Five Threads for years. I, I, my go-tos are uh, Game Day, uh, Heidi Saucy Sister, um, Double Bliss. Uh, those, those are, to me, my favorites that I can't find anywhere else. And, and which, by the way, you got me into sours. I never liked sours before trying that. <laughs> so you got me hooked. Uh, but in this case, I feel that there's a lot of, quality here in what you brew and that everyone should at least try it that hasn't had it or tried it before. In your words, how would you say your product differs from those of your competitors? I think there's a couple things. Um, first off, every brewer has their own palate, um, the way that they taste beer and every brewer makes beer that they think tastes good. Um, and just like art on the wall, um, people have different preferences in what they, what they like and what they don't like. Um, so you have, you know, tasted my beers and it works with your palate. So the flavor profiles that I'm creating, you know, you know, my fingerprints essentially um, on, on these beers create a certain flavor profile and, a, and an approach to beer that, that you are enjoying. Um, I think our beers are very uh, crisp. I think they're very drinkable. I think they're very flavorful. I think they're um, unique in flavor profile from one to the next. It's not all the same beer with a di different name and a dis subtle difference between all of them. Uh, I think our, our Game Day Blonde is very different from Heidi Saucy Sister, which is different from the Porter, which is different from our IPAs. Um, it's not just, you know, we're not just an IPA shop. We're not just, um, you know, uh, making slight differences in the same beer. Um, so so by, we, by, by flavor by profile, you're, you're, you're telling me that you put crack cocaine in what you're serving me, and that's why I'm addicted, just like my Oreo cookies that I can't stop eating, <laughs> which that's, is, that's, you, that's you right. have now me somehow hooked up. these. You, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> and so does Oreo cookie. You guys are all working together on this. Um, so the other thing that we've done is, is these bigger beers, and you know, a lot of breweries will do a, a giant beer once a year as their anniversary thing. Um, and oftentimes they're like overly sweet. They're under attenuated. Um, they, um, they're big, but maybe they have some fusels. Uh, so, so headache causing alcohols, you know. Um, so not every brewery does big beers well, and they don't do them that often. Um, and they often are, are thicker and more syrupy. Um, and even the good ones sometimes, like the brewery has amazing line of beers that with all sorts of flavor profiles um, and uh, huge ABVs. Uh, but to me, they, they come off a little sweet and they're great to sample. Um, you know, you want a, a taster glass of them, but you know, to have a full pour um, or a couple full pours, it's, it's a little bit much. So we've kind of, 
created a line of beers where it's 17% alcohol, um, but it drinks really easily. Um, it has great flavors. It's got you know the, the high ABV and, and it's drinkable. You can have an eight ounce pour and then go back for another one and hopefully you're not driving after the third. Right. <laughs> Play it safe, everybody. <laughs> um, but wines are you know, 14, 15% uh, ABV. And so now we've brought our beers up to the same um, which, is, uh, which is really high for some of these beers. <laughs> some of these, for, for, no complaints. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I think we do that pretty well, and we've gotten great reviews on them. And you know, some of our beers on Untapped have, have you know broken the four, <laughs> the four points uh, barrier and um, gone up there. So I, I think we've we've been doing it well. Um, and since they're bigger, they will last longer, um, and so we'll have them for. Um, when things can get going again and, and hopefully uh, with this winter season coming up we can we can move some of the darker ones um and they're great for barrel aging as well so we took some of our 5x red and we put that into uh bourbon barrels um and uh so we'll have some bourbon barrel aged 17 percent beer uh, coming down the line um, now uh you you've been in business since uh ooh, i just i went blank i knew this well how long have you when were you established so we opened our doors in october 2015 Okay. Um, and I'd been working on it for about a year before that. Um, so we're, you know, six years, I'm six years into this and in October we would, would be celebrating our five year anniversary. Awesome. Okay, great. Uh, it, it, I hope, I hope that we're done with COVID by then, but you know, <laughs> I'm trying to be realistic about it, but I'm just hoping that we can go back to normal and, uh, celebrate with you Maybe guys. Maybe by next summer. <laughs> Maybe by next summer, but. Going going forward, uh, Tim, since you've been established for for quite a while, what are your hopes and what do you see for the future of Five Threads? If you could, if you could just you know indulge me for a bit. That's a really hard question right now. Um, uh, you know, if um, if things turn around very quickly and there's some uh, very magnanimous people out there, then um, what I would like to see is to um, create um, a larger brewing operation for some of the beers that can be scaled up uh, like the game day blonde and like some of these, you know, 17% beers. Um, I would like to keep the hazies at the small scale that we're at um, so that it can have that individual attention and not get too mass mass market brewed. Um, and so I would like to see, you know, wider, you know, multi-state distribution of like the game day blonde brands. And um, on the uh, this side, um, you know, hopes and dreams would be to add a food component, which would then allow us to also serve wine and cater to more people, so we can share a wider experience with uh, more of the people in our community. Um, we've um, seen that that's where the market is going in especially in this region uh where if you have food and beer and wine you're going to do much better than if you only have the tried and true beer experience um you know other towns uh, seem to do just fine with the just beer experience but um for better or worse the town that i'm in uh prefers the full range not just beer yeah and and that might just be the way that the the whole you know craft beer scene is evolving um but uh the the, the, the tried and true beer fanatics have been diluted across the, you know, 8,000 breweries across the states. And so now we get those and we get the regulars um, that have been our bread and butter. But to get the, the wider appeal, uh, we need to be able to offer more. So yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and that's something you're going to shoot for. And I, I don't see you quitting anytime soon unless you're, unless you're forced to like everybody else. But in this case, right now you're, you're striving and you're doing your best. Um, I personally miss being there. I miss doing the podcast there with all you guys. You guys are my five threads family. Miss all of you. Um, from here going we're, forward, we're miss, I uh, serving pints and, and having the friendly faces. And exactly. The, hey, how you doing? The, the good times. <laughs> if, if anything, if COVID's going to teach us anything, it's going to be that. It's going to be you know really truly appreciating the moment when we have it. I know I didn't appreciate it yeah. as much as I do now. You know, not being able to be there with all of you. But uh, uh, before we go, Tim, I'd like to uh, point out to my guests, where can they find you either in social media or your website? Oh yeah. Um, a Google search on five threads brewing uh, tends to bring us up to the top. Um, we're on Instagram. That's a, a heavy one that we use. We're, we're on Facebook uh, as five threads brewing co, I believe it is. And um, our location is in Westlake Village, California. So it's 31133 via Colinas, Suite 109 in Westlake Village, California. And um, our website is fivethreadsbrewing.com. Awesome. And you can find me as always at uh, on Instagram at Damien underscore DeCarlo, also at Making a Geek underscore podcast. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. We wish you and your family the best during this time. We can't wait thank to be you. back with you guys when all this is just done. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that little bell to this channel for more cool content. Until next time, everybody, keep calm and geek out. Good night, everybody. Okay.